Hello, this is Dr. Kevin Skinner. I want to thank you for purchasing Treating Pornography Addiction, and I appreciate your trust in purchasing this product. At this point, I'd like to give you a little bit of an introduction into why I've created Treating Pornography Addiction, and I'll tell you a little bit about myself. First of all, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and have been working with individuals who've been dealing with pornography addiction for the last eight years. About two and a half years ago, I had a religious leader come to me and say, I am seeing an increase in pornography addiction in my congregation. I need some help. And can I refer some of my members to come talk with you? And at that point, I had been dealing with pornography addiction repeatedly. So I took on his challenge. And over that time in the last two and a half, three years, I've in particular been focusing on treating pornography addiction. At this point, two and a half years later, my client load is to the point where there's so much need that I've chosen to get this information to individuals by creating these CDs. A little bit on my background. I'm originally from Idaho and graduated with a bachelor's degree in family science from Brigham Young University and a master's degree from University of Nebraska-Lincoln in marriage and family therapy. And then I came back to Brigham Young University and got my PhD. At that time, uh, they graduated in 2000, and I am uh, currently practicing in private practice in Provo, Utah. Now, a little bit about treating pornography addiction. We're at the point in the United States and throughout the world where we are being inundated with pornographic images. Currently, 72 million Internet users visit pornography-related sites every year. Some of these individuals are doing it daily. Some of them are doing it once a week. Some of them once a month. Some of them just periodically. Nevertheless, 72 million Internet users visit pornography-related sites each year. In fact, 25% of all search engine requests are pornography-related. Every day in the United States, 2.5 billion emails are sent out in the United States and throughout the world to various email addresses. So this is a problem that is beginning to grow and is not going to go away. Now the question is, is if a person looks at pornography, are they going to then become addicted to it? And we're going to be talking about that. Is pornography an addiction and why it can become an addiction? These CDs are created for individuals who are struggling with pornography addiction. They're also created for individuals who want to help those who are into pornography. So I appreciate uh, you taking the time to listen to these. I believe with the tools that I will give during this time that we are together, you will find that you have more information, more tools, and more hope. In the book of Hosea in the Bible, we read a statement that says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Well, I believe that overcoming pornography addiction, the big genesis of change begins when we understand how to treat it, what to do, how it's impacting our lives. Today, I want to share that with you so you can begin to have hope. And if you're working or if you have a family member who's addicted to pornography and you're listening to this in hopes of getting help for them, I will address some of the things that you can do to help. Now, the creation of a pornography addiction, that's where I will begin with today. The creation of a pornography addiction generally begins in childhood. During my uh, time as a therapist, I've come to realize that we have about probably 90 to 95 percent of all the people that I work with have their first exposure to pornography in childhood. Probably the most glaring story I ever heard was a young boy who was age four. His mother had been divorced and uh, was living with a man, and there was quite a bit of abuse in the home. The young boy uh, age four, uh, was in his room one day, and he just continually was hearing his mom and her live-in boyfriend fighting and arguing. The live-in boyfriend had pornographic magazines throughout the house. And uh, during an argument, uh, his mom, trying to get his mind away from that, gave him a pornographic magazine to get his mind off their argument. And he said at age four, uh, that's when he started uh, viewing pornography or looking at pornographic magazines. So here he is uh, 20 plus years later uh, in my office, and you can just guess what his struggles are. He's been dealing with pornography and masturbation problems from a very young age. So what we're finding is that even when we start at a young age, whether it be 8, 9, 10, that it's a premature for children to be exposed to sexual things. First of all, their mind has to try to understand, what is this? What does it mean? And in general, they, they're curious. 
And that's where it generally starts is with a curiosity. It might be at a friend's house. It might be their a parents' uh, an R-rated video, their parents' sex tapes. It may be uh, magazines uh, that are laying around the house. Uh, sometimes it begins with a Sears and Roebuck uh, catalog, but it generally starts at a young age. And what we're finding with most addictions, whether it's alcohol, whatever, the substance of choice, the earlier they start, the more addicted they become to it. If we want to understand pornography addiction, we also have to understand that the family background is going to have a significant impact upon that. Just take that example of that young boy, age four. His family background, highly stressful, a lot of tension, a lot of conflict. The consequence was he soon felt like that was how he could cope. And so some addicts, they begin looking at pornography as it's a coping mechanism to deal with outside stress that they are experiencing in their family background. Now, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who's the foremost and the leader in treating sexual addiction, he researched with over a thousand sex addicts, and he reported his findings in a book called Don't Call It Love. In that book, he stated that among all addicts surveyed, 90% of the men and 77% of the women reported pornography as significant to their addiction. In addition, a Dr. Klein found that nearly all of his individuals dealing with sexual addiction, they started with pornography exposure as a child or an adolescent. Typically, the pattern has been the exposure begins with some type of mild pornography uh, or sexual abuse and then escalates into acting out. One of the things that we are finding is that pornography is often related with other behaviors. Masturbation is almost always comes with looking at pornography. But another thing that occurs is fantasy. And that is something that we're going to be talking about a little bit later. So the creation of a pornography addiction, we're finding that it starts in early childhood. Uh, We're finding that more and more children are being exposed to pornographic images via the Internet. This creates a real challenge for our society because we aren't dealing with it. We're basically saying, well, we need to put filters on our computers and so forth. But most of the adults that I'm now talking with, they're able to go through the filters. They're able to find a way around it. The consequence is is that they're looking at pornography while their parents think they're safe. They're creating an addiction where they're looking two and three and four times a week. Sometimes they're looking at it daily. Mom and dad are out of the house. And so the development of this, normally we're starting in early childhood, but because of the Internet, we're now seeing children who have exposure to it in very large quantities. Children are looking at, at pornography. Well, what happens to their view of a relationship? Generally speaking, we'll be talking about what happens to their self-worth a little bit later. Now, here's generally the protocol, or here's how this develops. First of all, there's a stimulus. Now, if it starts with some type of a TV image, a magazine, uh, being at a friend's house and being exposed to some type of a video, generally that stimulus starts to create an emotion. So at this point, what I would like you to do is take out a piece of paper, and you will actually find this in the workbook, In Appendix A, you will find a chart for this. So if you'll look at Appendix A, you will see that the stimulus, and what I would like each individual to do is write down the most frequent stimulus or stimuli that gets you thinking about pornography. The stimulus could be one of hundreds of things. It could be walking around and seeing a woman dressed inappropriately. It could be looking at a billboard. It could be just driving down the street listening to the radio, and in the radio or the song there's some type of sexually uh, provocative uh, music or lyrics. So that's the stimulus. What is the stimulus that most frequently gets you started? That's a question if you're dealing with pornography. What is the most frequent stimulus for you? The next is once you see that stimulus or have that stimulus in your life, what is the next thought? And so as you track your thoughts, the thought generally could be, hey, I could look at pornography. There's nobody around. Now, once you have that thought, generally speaking, that leads to the next feeling, which is an emotion. It's an emotion of excitement. You might start to feel a little bit aroused. You feel a tingling in your body. That then is followed by a chemical release. And the chemical release is a very powerful one. This is even before looking at pornography. And let me give you an example of this. I want you to imagine with me for a second uh, your favorite food. You you think about your favorite restaurant and you're going to uh, get your favorite food. And let's say that your favorite food is chicken, potatoes, and gravy. And once you're done with the chicken and the potatoes and gravy, uh, you get some ice cream. And on top of your ice cream is a luscious strawberry. 
Now, if you're like me, your mouth could be watering by just thinking about that food. What occurs with pornography is when you've seen it in the past, your body gets adjusted. It's like Pavlov's dog. He hears a bell and he starts to salivate even before he gets the food. When people are used to looking at pornography, the thought comes to their mind, the chemicals are released into their system, and they're starting to feel excited and aroused. Well, once these chemicals are dumped into the system, it's very difficult to not look at the pornography. So you get these chemicals in the system, and they have found that these chemicals are endorphins, and these are internal chemicals that are more addictive than cocaine or alcohol. A Dr. Kassenbaum at a conference that I attended here in Salt Lake City, he said that he believes that these chemicals can be five to six times more addictive than cocaine or alcohol. And that's a pretty profound statement. An internal chemical is more addictive than an external substance such as cocaine or alcohol. The other problem that occurs with this is that we've been focusing on the external chemicals like alcohol, but we haven't realized that we can get high on our own brain chemicals. And these chemicals, if used consistently over time, they can change our brain chemistry so that we require excitement in order to feel normal. And so the chemicals that are dumped into the system while viewing pornography are very, very addictive. Very important to understand that concept as you begin the treatment process because individuals who are addicted to pornography They want the high. They're looking for the high. And when they can't get the high, they go through, literally through withdrawal symptoms. So let's go back to the model. We've looked at the stimulus. We've looked at the thoughts. We've looked at the emotions. Now we've got the chemicals into our system. At that point, your body starts to get involved. You may have an erection. Your heart rate starts to beat faster. Some people become sweaty in the hands and the palms. They become a little bit tingly. Their hands or feet become cold or sweaty. And you can begin maybe to feel throat restrictions or your eyes more dilated. That's when you know the chemicals are in your system. Now, once your body's starting to get involved, your heart rate increases. What happens next is you have a thought. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't do this. And this is what I call the battle. Now, the battle is a very real battle. It's I shouldn't do this. If religion is a part of your life, it's not what God would want me to do. I'm going to have to talk with my clergy member or I'm going to have to talk with somebody about this, my pastor or my bishop. What am I going to do about it? I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. My spouse will be upset at me. I'm going to let down other people. But the power at this point is so strong because of those chemicals and because of the previously viewed images, the thought also comes, you know, one more time isn't going to hurt me. I've been doing this for years and years. I'm probably not going to be able to stop. And overall, there gets to be this thought process that is, I just can't do this. And I might as well give in now because it's not going to go away. Well, those thoughts create this internal battle. And very few people win at this point during that battle. The reason why they don't win is because those chemicals are are embedded into their mind and they just have a strong craving. Sometimes when you do turn back, it's because you say, you know what, I'm going to choose to win this battle. But I would say that that's less frequent once those chemicals are really into the system. So once you've gone through the battle, there's hundreds of different beliefs. Let me just name a few of those beliefs. One more time won't hurt. Nobody will know. It's not that big of a deal. I've been dealing with this for so many years. I just don't care anymore. I deserve it. Now, what I'm going to need you to do is identify your beliefs. What are the beliefs that you have that authorize you or give you permission to look at pornography? And generally speaking, it's going to be a belief that it's okay. It doesn't matter. And that belief is what drives that you then to the behavior, which is ultimately going to be looking at pornography and which we will ultimately be accompanied with masturbation. What we know about masturbation is it releases these endorphins, and the more a person ejaculates, what occurs is that they have more endorphins in their system. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do at this point, I'm going to give you some assignments because it's working through this and understanding your own reaction sequence. Now, that's, the reaction sequence is, is what is in Appendix A. It starts with that stimulus and now ends with the behavior. So what I want you to do at this time is stop the CD, 
and write down your own reaction sequence. Next, what I would like you to do, once you've outlined this reaction sequence, I want you to write down the things that you learned from this reaction sequence. In particular, what I would like you to do is look at the beliefs that are authorizing your behavior. Write down as many beliefs as you can think of that have authorized you to look at pornography. In the workbook, you will find that I have assignments. This is assignment that I believe as you identify your own beliefs, you will begin to understand why you are looking at pornography. So basically at this point, we've identified the human mind and the reaction sequence and how that pattern develops in your mind. What you will come to see is an individual who's been looking at pornography for an extended period of time. They start with a stimulus, they end with the behavior, and if you were to map this out in the human mind, you would literally see a pathway that I call the pornography highway. And what happens is once that stimulus kicks in, if the person is not fighting a battle, if they're not trying to fight it, there's an easy pathway for it to go from the stimulus to the behavior without even thinking about it. That's why it becomes a habit. And ultimately it becomes addictive because it becomes a high from looking at it. So at this point, I would like you to do four specific things. First of all, I need you to identify the times where you are most vulnerable. Now that you've written down the times that you're most vulnerable, outline your own reaction sequence. And once you've done that, now what are the beliefs that you have to authorize or that give you permission to look at pornography? And then what I want you to do is come up with a game plan that will help you rewrite that reaction sequence. So for example, when the stimulus kicks in, what are you going to do? Now, if you look at the reaction sequence, where do you think the best place to stop that would be? Most people, they understand that it has to occur before the chemical release because you get a real high from that chemical release. So we're going to try to stop that before the chemicals are dumped into your system. And the way we do that is come up with a specific game plan. Now, I could tell you hundreds of different game plans that have, people have came up with. But before we move forward, I need you to think of at least five things that you will do once that stimulus kicks in, once those times you're vulnerable are in place. I need you to come up with a specific game plan of what you will do. If you have a list of five things or ten things, I'm going to invite you to read and reread that list at least daily for a month. Okay? We want you to understand that this is your game plan. You're in charge here. Now, let me give you an example of what some of these game plans have been. Some individuals create a game plan that says, I'm going to get up away from the computer, or I'm going to turn off the TV, or I'm going to make sure that I don't go to Blockbuster when I'm all by myself. When there's nobody around in my house, I'm not going to be on the internet. When I'm feeling tempted or feeling the desire to look at pornography, I'm going to go into the kitchen and cook some food. I'm going to play a musical instrument. whole list of things. This is just an example. My experience has been this, that your game plan is effective as you believe it's effective. Now I'd like to turn our attention to assessing and understanding levels of pornography addiction. One of the things that I've come to realize is there are different levels of pornography addiction. It isn't either you're an addict or you're not. It's a matter of the frequency. It's a matter of how many times you're looking at it. It's a matter of the type of pornography you're looking at. And I'll be talking about that because I want you to understand that an addiction, uh, using that term, sometimes it can be a negative thing to say, hey, I'm an addict. Well, I want to identify and help you assess your own level of pornography addiction. And by now you've taken the test that I wrote at treatingpornographyaddiction.com. If you haven't taken that test, I would encourage you to take that test and assess your own level of addiction. But as I created that test, one of the things that I realized is that not all people are at the same level. Let me give you an example of this. About two months ago, I had a young man come into my office. He's probably early 20s. And uh, he says, I'm addicted to pornography. And as usual, I, I'm always interested when somebody says, hey, I'm addicted to this. So I started asking him questions. How frequently are you looking at it? Well, I've probably seen it twice in the last year. 
And I said, okay, and is it normally accompanied by masturbation? Uh, well, no, I, I, I don't uh, masturbate. But I just, it's something that I've probably looked at five or six times during my life. Now, I personally don't call that an addiction. But for some reason, he had it in his mind that he was addicted to pornography. Now, take that in comparison with the uh, gentleman who came into my office. And he said, I'm looking at pornography probably three or four times a day, sometimes masturbating two or three times a day. And it's probably been that way for about the last four to six months. Now, that individual clearly is addicted to pornography. So I'm going to identify some questions for you. And these questions come from Dr. Karn's book, Don't Call It Love. So let me give you a list of these things to help you assess your own addiction level. First of all, do you feel a pattern of -of out-of-control behavior? Second, are there severe consequences due to you viewing pornography? There's a gentleman who came to my office. He said, well, I I suppose there is some consequences that uh, have been really hurting me. My wife uh, left me and we're now divorced. I've been uh, kicked out of the school. I just can't focus on my school because my grades are down and uh, it's just become such a problem for me. So there's severe consequences in that situation. Obviously, that you'd say that that could be an addiction. The third part, the inability to stop despite adverse consequences. And that's what happens when an individual came to me. He said, I'm engaged. My fiance has said that she is not going to marry me if I continue looking at pornography. But the challenge is, is I, I, even with that information, I haven't been able to stop. So the inability to stop despite adverse consequences. Number four is high-risk behavior. Individuals who are dealing with the addiction, they put themselves more at risk. A high-risk behavior could be acting out in public. And that's when it starts to escalate into a behavior that becomes risky. And it's not just a thing that you're doing at home in your apartment or your house by yourself. Number five is an ongoing desire or effort to limit sexual behavior or looking at pornography. I don't know how many times I've heard, I've tried to stop, I've tried to stop. I've talked with religious leaders, I've talked with family members, I've talked with roommates, I've talked with all types of people, but I just can't seem to stop. Everything I do, I keep giving in. And whether that's once a month or whether that's once a week, I've promised myself a thousand times that I'm going to quit and I can't. Okay, that's number five. The sixth is pornography or fantasy as a primary coping mechanism. Now, I want to differentiate between pornography and fantasy. Pornography by itself often comes with a fantasy, but fantasy can be by itself. The way the human mind works, an individual who has looked at pornography can create that image or recreate that image in their mind, and that is the fantasy part. Some clients that I've talked to report literally hours a day of fantasizing. Now, that's not even looking at pornography, but their mind allows themselves to fantasize. They go into this daydreaming world. They find themselves fantasizing at work or at school. They find themselves fantasizing while they're driving to work. The consequence of that is, is they're getting that, those chemicals dumped into their system just by fantasizing. That's why pornography is so challenging to overcome. Your mind can fantasize about it. Addictive level, if you're assessing for it, you need to assess fantasy, and you also need to understand how much they're using it as a primary coping mechanism. Now, primary coping mechanism means this. When you're in stress, when you're uptight, irritated, agitated, when you don't know what else to do, are you looking at pornography or fantasizing as a way to numb yourself from the pain? If that's the case, you're working towards becoming more and more addicted to pornography. Now, number seven, it's an increase in amounts of pornography involvement. What once was once a year or twice a year is now once every other month. Then it escalates up to maybe two times a month. Then now we're looking at it weekly. Now it's three to five times a week. Now it's almost daily. And generally speaking, it's going to increase in that way. So if there's an increased amounts of pornography involvement included in that is the type of pornography. What maybe started with the Sears and Robot catalog now is Playboy or Penthouse. Now that's not enough. Now it's some type of a X-rated video. Now you're online and you're looking at not just 
nude pictures, but you're looking at downloaded video clips, sometimes 10-second clips. Now it's longer clips. And in the extreme, it's looking at them for hours and hours and hours at a time. Next is severe mood changes. This is number eight. The severe mood changes comes with irritability and grumpiness and being just uptight. And generally that occurs before a person has looked at it or looked at pornography. And then when they're looking at it, their mind is numb. And then afterwards, they may go back to being grumpy or irritable. And primarily that's going to come because I feel out of control. I start to feel hopeless and I start to feel helpless. Next, number nine, spending inordinate amounts of time in viewing pornography or fantasizing about images seen. Now, the more and more time a person is spending with this, obviously it's becoming a problem. I was talking with an individual who loved to play soccer, just loved the competition. He was out one day, they, it was a Saturday morning, and they were, he was getting ready for the soccer match and was just excited to play. And about an hour before the game, he was uptight and he was edgy. And uh, the next thing he knew, he was online looking at pornography. Well, the consequence was is he looked at pornography all the way through his soccer match. His favorite activity and thing he looked forward all week to, he didn't do it because he was looking at pornography. Okay, so he, not only was he spending more time and fantasizing about it, he started to neglect, which is number 10, neglect the social, occupational, or recreational activities. And that's a perfect example of him doing that. So what happens is any one of these 10 things that I've just listed, you put three or four or five of them together, and you've got a pretty good idea that a person is addicted to pornography. Now, there's other parts for helping you assess a person's addiction level. This comes from a doctor, uh, Klein, and he stated that generally it's a person becomes addicted, then it escalates. Escalation meaning there's a flood of the, in the brain with chemicals that over time, it's harder and harder to get that high. And so the escalation comes from the magazines into more hardcore pornography. That's the escalation part of it. Then there's a desensitization process, he claims. He says uh, that people begin to objectify women. In some situations, it can be men. Yes, I have worked with women who've been addicted to pornography. But in particular, when a person's going through that desensitization process, they find themselves undressing people in public. They find themselves viewing women as objects or men as objects. It's just something to do. And so they start to begin to think about acting out, which is the next step of assessing an addiction level, is you start acting out in various different ways, taking more risks, looking at pornography at the public library. It's uh, looking at pornography while you're sitting in an educational class. And that's when you start acting out. Individuals who go through this process, they escalate, they desensitize, and then they act out sexually. We understand that the more that they're acting out, the, the more desensitization, the more escalation, the deeper the level of the addiction. Now, in the process of creating the test that I wrote, assessing pornography addiction, I in particular looked at what Dr. Klein had said. Then I looked at what Dr. Carnes has said in his book, Don't Call It Love, and identified those 10 steps. And then I created my own, and together with those three things, I, I helped create seven different levels of pornography addiction. And you saw that in the test that you took. And again, if you haven't taken that test, you can find it at treatingpornographyaddiction.com, which is treating-pornography-addiction.com. But here are the elements that I included in that. First of all is a history or a background we know that the earlier a person starts it to pornography, the more likely they are to have a deeper addiction level. So I looked at the history. Next, we look at the frequency. How frequent are you looking at pornography? Is it daily? Is it multiple times a day? Is it once a week? Is it once a month? Is it every two or three or four or five months? And each one of those comes with an addiction level. The example I used earlier, the person who had seen pornography twice in the last year, that's going to be maybe a level one or maybe possibly a level two addiction level. Level seven is somebody who's looking at it daily and they're acting out. So it's important to differentiate between these levels. And that's what that test does. So there's the history, the frequency, now the time spent. Is it hours a day? Is it 10 minutes? So a person looks at pornography once a month and they spend 10 minutes in it. Well, that's going to be a lower level of addiction. And you may not even call it addiction at that point. 
Okay, so how much time is being spent? Number four is the type of pornography. Again, we've talked a little bit about that. The type, is it X-rated videos or is it basically swimsuit issue, lingerie, women in G-strings, whatever it may be? Is the pornography accompanied by fantasy and masturbation? Again, we know that masturbation by itself is creating this endorphins, which is very, very high. And once those endorphins are high after masturbation, it's the body is just literally creating a chemical change in the mind where there's this high and where there is a need to stay at that level of high. So fantasy and masturbation is accompanying this. And we're assessing the level by looking at how much they fantasize or how much masturbation is accompanying it. Next, we talked about the mood. Now, the other part that is important to look at in the level of addiction, and that is, am I doing it at risk of losing things while I'm in a relationship? Am I looking at pornography while I'm in a relationship, putting that relationship in jeopardy? That could be a spouse. That could be a fiance. That could be a girlfriend. Now, one of the really important things to look at is sometimes people view pornography because they're lonely. I'm all alone. I don't feel like anybody cares about me. But how does that fit with addiction level if I'm in a relationship? I'm not lonely, but I still look at pornography. That is a clear indicator that it's a deeper level of addiction. So it's important if you're going to assess this, if a person's not in a relationship, it's going to be a little bit different than if they're in a relationship and looking at pornography. Okay, so these are the things that you can do to help assess your own level of pornography addiction. Now, if you're a parent or a friend or somebody who's concerned and want to help other people, it's important that you ask the questions that we've identified here. Because if you do that, you will have a deeper understanding of how severe this is. And we don't want to send the wrong message. If a person's just getting exposed to it and we call it an addiction, we may be sending them a message that could define them down and make them feel like, well, I'm an addict and some people will give up and not have the hope. So we have to be very careful not to do that. So assessing this is very important for individuals in pornography and those who are trying to help them. Now, one other element before I close this section of assessing pornography addiction levels. As I said, I've created seven levels. And if you want to understand the differentiation between these levels, you can find that on my website, treatingpornographyaddiction.com. The next section I want to talk about is how to begin the recovery process. What this is going to require is an individual who's addicted to pornography. It's what I call looking in the mirror. Because pornography addiction is something that most people aren't willing to admit, they aren't willing to get help, they feel like I can handle it on my own. Nobody else needs to know. It's just something that I can overcome. Denial is probably the biggest challenge in this process. Well, the fact that you have bought this CD and are listening to it says you're probably not in denial. You really want some help. But the fact is that denial is one of the biggest obstacles to treatment. Most people feel like, hey, I don't have a problem. You know, it's not that frequent. And then it becomes more and more frequent and they start to feel out of control. They start to feel hopeless or helpless. Through the course, uh, this is a statement written by Dr. Victor Klein. He said, the course of this illness may be slow and is nearly always hidden from view. It is usually a secret part of a man's life or a woman's life. And like cancer, it keeps growing and spreading. It rarely ever reverses itself. Very important point there. All by itself, People who are looking and looking and looking at pornography, they don't stop it by themselves. It is also very difficult to treat and heal. That comes from a Dr. Victor Klein who's worked with over 300 individuals who are dealing with pornography addiction or sex addiction. And he says it's hard to treat and it's hard to heal. Well, why? Because denial on the part of the male addict and refusal to confront the problem are typical and they are predictable. And it almost always leads to marital or couple disharmony, sometimes divorce, and sometimes the breaking up of other valued relationships. In the recovery process, as we start to look in the mirror, the question you need to ask, am I in denial of how big of a problem this is? That is why the previous section helped you assess your level of addiction. You need to understand really how much into this am I? 
Because if I don't put up the protective barriers now, if I don't start to take the measures to begin the healing process, you're going to have a real problem. We want you to understand, yes, if this is a problem, you can get help. But help comes when you say, I need help. I really do have a problem. That type of honesty begins the healing process. In my office, I've had grown men crying because they say, I can't do it by myself. I need help. I just can't stop. I've promised myself over and over. I promised my wife. I promised my mom or my dad. I can't quit. And they're scared. But what I want to say is with the right tools that we're going to be talking about, and part of this is understanding it, and the other part of it is using the tools that we've talked about and we're going to talk about. There is always hope, but we have to look in the mirror and we have to say, honestly, is this a problem for me? I can't be in denial anymore. Another problem that comes with pornography addiction is shame and guilt. It's very, very important to understand the shaming process and the guilt that people feel from looking at pornography. I feel guilty because I can't stop. I feel ashamed because if anybody knew that I was involved in this, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. That's the shaming process. That's what goes through individuals' minds who are dealing with pornography addiction. What I want you to understand here is we have to understand the real pain. We have to get to the root of the problem And we have to deal with the emotional issues that is accompanied with looking at pornography. I know for a fact that pornography creates low self-worth. Not once have I had an individual come to my office say, hey, I'm looking at pornography and I feel great about myself. I've never once heard that. It's a feeling of hopelessness. I can't stop. I can't quit. Please help me. So we know that individuals who are caught in the trap of pornography have a problem with low self-worth. They say beliefs like this. Nobody would want me because I have this problem with pornography. I'm a bad person. I can't change. Nobody cares about me anyway. I've been dealing with this for so long. Why should I be able to change it now? Those are the beliefs that lead to the shame and the guilt. Now, what we need to do is we need to change that pattern to believing in yourself. Let me give you an example of the power of our beliefs. I was working with a client in Nebraska. He was an alcoholic who also had a gambling addiction. And uh, he came to my office. His wife had left him. And she left him uh, just a few weeks prior to him coming to see me. And he said, the only way my wife is coming back is if I get help and I stop drinking and I stop gambling. And he said, as he was reviewing with me why she had left, he said, I was actually doing pretty good. I'd promised her for the umpteenth time that I was going to quit drinking and quit gambling. Uh, He loved to play Keno. He said, I was doing really good. It had been quite a few months And it was payday. And uh, the thought came to my mind, you know what? You could stop by the bar, play a little bit of Keno, and uh, you you won't drink too much, a couple drinks, and uh, you'll be just fine. Well, he went and cashed his check, went to the bar, and he found himself playing Keno. Well, $50 and $100. And basically, by the time he was done, his check was gone. He was so anxious that he started drinking more, and he started drinking more, and he started drinking more. At that point, he realized what he had done, went home, and his wife, taking a very firm stance, said, I'm sorry, I'm leaving. So at this point, I've been working with him just two or three months as we were talking, and he made a very profound statement. He said, what occurred to me was this. I had done well for months and months and months. When I thought I was at the top, I thought, hey, I've conquered this. I'm doing just fine. He said, I looked up and it was like I'd climbed to the top of this mountain and I thought life is good. And the belief that he stated to me was this, I don't believe I'm good enough. I don't belong here. This isn't me. His own lack of self-worth, believing that he was good enough, then triggered him into going to the bar. But he didn't identify that initially. If the belief is, I can't stop, I don't believe I can, 
we need to challenge that belief, and I'm going to talk about how we do that. Now, I want at this point to give an assignment to you. Go to the assignment in the workbook that's in Appendix 3. In that list is the reasons you look at pornography. Now, I want you to take some time right now and write down the reasons why you look at pornography. This is a self-assessment of why you are looking at pornography. Now that you've identified the reasons that you are looking at pornography, I want to give you some of the common ones. It initially starts in childhood as as a curiosity, understanding the human body. But that curiosity oftentimes will go away. And then individuals look at pornography, and I've identified some of the reasons why. One is for stimulation and excitement. They're looking for an upper. They're looking for a high. I'm looking for a stimulation. I've been cooped up all day. It's time to get something exciting. There's nobody else around, and what's the most exciting thing I can do? Well, of course, there's the chemicals. You get the high from looking at the pornography. So it's for stimulation or excitement. Sometimes people look at pornography because of frustration or stress. I didn't do well on a test. My girlfriend is upset at me. My parents yelled at me. Work is just so overwhelming, I can't deal with it. That type of frustration or stress, sometimes people will, in their mind, say, I don't want to deal with it. They'll push it aside, and they'll say, well, what can I do instead? Well, the path of least resistance in the mind is pornography. Now, that's not always the case, but when it is the case, and you turn to it out of frustration or stress, it becomes a real problem because that's the primary coping mechanism when you're in pain. Now think about that for a second. If you are in emotional pain, you're frustrated, you're stressed, and you turn to pornography, you create a pathway in the mind that says, when I'm in pain, this is what I do. When I'm in pain, this is what I do. That creates a pathway that needs to be broken. Some people do it just to relax. Some people say, I need a break, and by the way, I enjoy it. Well, more often than not, they enjoy it, they enjoy it, and then it becomes a point where they feel like they can't stop, and it's no longer enjoyable. Other people look at pornography just simply because they're bored. There's nothing to do. And I've in particular noticed this with students at academic institutions. During the semester, it's go, 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 paper after paper after paper, test, 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 quiz, and they're going all the time. And then comes Christmas break, or then comes the summer, and they're at home, and they've got free time. Now, let me make a comment here about free time. Free time all by itself can be very dangerous to an individual who is dealing with an addiction to pornography. Because a person that is bored and doesn't have anything to do has idle time of the mind. And when you have mind time, what do you normally think about? Well, I'm not doing anything. And today in our culture, we play Xbox and we play Nintendo and we play these video games. And the mind gets kind of addicted to that type of, I'm doing nothing. When a person is not productive, and I'm going to be talking more about being productive a little bit later, and the mind is idle, they're more prone to give in to the easier pathway. And sometimes that easier pathway is pornography. So it's being on board. I want to address three other things here. Sometimes people look at pornography because they're in pain. They have a fear of rejection, a fear of never finding a relationship, or a belief that nobody will accept me. The individual who comes to my office and says, you know, I'm addicted to pornography, one of the things that I have to ask them is, do you have a relationship? Are there people who you trust or are close to? This doesn't have to be an opposite sex type of relationship. But do you have a friend, a parent, somebody who you're close to, a spouse, somebody who you can go to and share your emotions with? In a high number of cases, I have individuals who don't have that connection. They don't have a relationship with someone. So part of the healing process is finding a real person, not an imagined fantasy world. If a person is dealing with rejection or a fear of never finding a relationship, they're more prone to looking at pornography. This false type of intimacy 
this facade leads to lower self-worth. So what needs to occur is dealing with that pain. Why am I in pain? Getting to the root of that problem. Other reasons people look at pornography is they're lonely. There's nobody around. I'm all alone. Nobody really cares about me. And so that loneliness then leads them to looking for some type of excitement. Sometimes people look at pornography because they're depressed. And they're looking for the chemical high. We know for a fact that when people are depressed, that their serotonin levels in their system are low. One way to get that back up is to put the endorphins into your system. Well, one way to do that is to look at the pornography. And so some people, as a coping mechanism with depression, will look at pornography. And so we have a chicken and egg thing there. Am I looking at pornography because I'm depressed? Or does my depression cause me to look at pornography? What we're coming to realize, I want to highlight this part, Human beings turn to pornography for a reason. There's always a reason behind it. And I have just made a list of these things. I hope you created your list. But I think it's important that we understand the reason. What is the function, the purpose of looking at pornography? And I believe that list that I just gave is a part of that. Now, every individual is going to have a different reason why But I believe at the core of that is what we just listed. I want to make one other key point here. Victor L. Brown said, The lives of most people are histories of their search to be physically, emotionally, and psychologically close to another human being. If a person is in a relationship, they're less likely to look at pornography if it's not a deep-seated addiction. But people need to understand that an addiction can override any relationship. So the treatment of pornography has to come in learning what healthy relationships are and trusting and getting the high off the relationship. When a person doesn't have a relationship and they feel alone, like nobody cares about them, one of the key things to treatment is to help them create healthy relationships with people who genuinely care. If you're listening to this and you don't have a relationship with someone, you care about somebody who's been involved in pornography, the task here is to let them know that you are there for them. If you are looking for somebody, it's to find somebody. The human mind needs to know that it's accepted by other human beings, which is a challenge with pornography. One of the reasons why it's a big challenge is because pornography often leads people to isolation. So we have two polarized ends here. We need human relationships, but we isolate ourselves. Many of the people that I've worked with who are dealing with pornography addiction, they isolate themselves because they don't feel worthy to be around other people. As a consequence, that isolation begins to spiral them down, and that's where it becomes more and more and more intense. Part of overcoming pornography addiction is finding a relationship. And I'm not saying go out and get into a serious relationship if you don't have a girlfriend or whatever. I'm saying learn to connect with other human beings. And we'll be talking about that in the accountability section of the treatment plan. Now, as we continue the process of how to begin the recovery process, I want to identify three other elements here. First of all, going with the relationships that we were just talking about is a concept of attachment. Individuals who feel close to other human beings feel attached. They feel secure. In my therapy experience, I have found that clients don't feel secure in relationships. They don't feel secure around other people. They have social withdrawal. Sometimes it's overly shy. They have uh, social anxiety. And that sometimes leads individuals into pornography because that's where they feel the most safe or most comfort. Individuals who don't attach to other human beings or don't feel close to other human beings. Uh, The early researchers, Ainsworth, he came up with the attachment theory. Well, he identified three different types of attachment. Secure, these people are happy, they're confident, they're loyal, trusting, 
they believe that the relationships will work out. So these are what we call secure individuals. Next, we have what he calls anxious ambivalent. Anxious ambivalent people want relationships, but their craving for the relationship sometimes pushes other people away. It also makes them feel like, well, I'll go on to the next person. I'll go on to the next person if this person doesn't accept me. And so they go through multiple relationships. And then you have the avoidant type of person who is just completely avoidant of relationships. They want relationship, but they don't. And they kind of go in to the state of, I don't really care. And if it happens, well, it'll happen. But if it doesn't, I don't really care. And what occurs with them is they're afraid of being hurt. They're afraid of being rejected. And so they put up this wall and they avoid real intimacy and relationships. Now, the point is this. In order to begin the healing process, we have to learn how to attach to other people. Social isolation, again, is a very dangerous thing for the pornography-addicted person. The next part that I want to talk about is how pornography has impacted your life. If we're going to begin the healing process and we're going to really look in the mirror, it's important that you identify how pornography has impacted your life. What I would like you to do at this point is take out a piece of paper, and you will find this in the workbook as well. On your piece of paper, I want you to write the following things. How has pornography impacted me in the following areas? How has it impacted me socially? How has it impacted my relationships? How has it impacted me educationally or on the job professionally? How has it impacted me spiritually? And how has it impacted how I view myself? So take some time and write down your answers to those questions. Now that you've done that, I want to give some examples of stories that I've heard from individuals who've taken the time to do this assignment. Socially, John isolated himself. He was afraid to go out in public. He was afraid to attend activities. He was afraid to even sometimes being in work settings where there were many people. He felt like he had to isolate himself because other people would know that he was looking at pornography. And so his thought or his belief was, well, everybody probably knows that I'm doing this and they aren't going to like me. And so he had a preconceived notion and began to isolate himself socially. For Eric, it cost him his marriage. About two years into his marriage, he had been dealing with pornography and his wife had known it, but she went on a vacation. And while she was gone for about 10 days, he had uh, viewed various types of pornography, and when she came back, he told her, and she said, well, I cautioned you before, and we're done. Now, there's more issues to this, but it literally was the point where it cost him his relationship. His marriage ended because he had the inability to not look at pornography. Okay. For Michael, he had to quit school. He couldn't focus. He was staying up sometimes all night long, looking at pornography. He'd go to school the next day. He, in fact, he said to me, I sleep through my classes. I can't stay awake because I've been looking at pornography all night long. My grades are poor. In fact, if I don't quit, I'm going to be kicked out anyway because I'm failing all my classes. I'm not even going to class, not doing my assignments, not doing anything. So for Michael, it was his education. He couldn't continue to going to school. Another story is I met professionally. An individual came to me and he said, you know, I didn't realize how much pornography was impacting me until I didn't get the job promotion that I probably should have gotten. But when I applied for the position, the reason why they didn't let me have the job is because I had fallen asleep in one of our meetings. And they said, we don't want someone like that leading this division of the company. And so professionally, he was passed up. What I'm finding with individuals who are addicted to pornography is they are not able to be as productive as they want to be. Well, why aren't they as productive? Because they are spending an inordinate amount of time viewing pornography or fantasizing or thinking about it. Now next, spiritually. A lot of people experience some type of a spiritual discomfort while viewing pornography. 
They feel a little bit guilty. They feel a little bit ashamed. Some of the individuals that I have met with said, I don't feel like God cares about me anymore. I figure he won't forgive me because I've been involved with this for so many years. Well, such a belief is very damaging to the self-image. If there's one person who you don't want to feel neglected, one area of your life that you don't feel like you're neglecting, it's going to be the relationship with deity. And when your life is not at peace with the deity, you go into place what we call dissonance. And dissonance is a place where your standards are at one level and your actions are at a lower level. And because there's a difference, if you're looking at two parallel lines, the farther apart your standards and your actions are, you're in a state of dissonance or stress. And generally when people are in that type of stress, they feel either internally they feel depressed or externally they're a little bit anxious and they're irritable because they don't feel at harmony with themselves. Sometimes that's what happens when pornography is such a part of a person's life. They start to feel like God doesn't care about me anymore. And so spiritually, it has a deep impact on how they view themselves. Now, speaking of how a person views themselves, high self-worth is attributed to doing what you feel you should be doing. If you look at what creates high self-worth in an individual, it is that they are at peace with themselves, they're calm, their mind is clear, they have goals, they're directed, they have close attachment to other people, close relationships, they love people, they serve people, they give to people. When individuals are dealing with pornography addiction, it's more challenging to give to other people because they're starting to focus within themselves just to survive. And so they go from high to high to high to high, meaning pornography experience to pornography experience to pornography experience. That high then is what encompasses their life. One thing that is very interesting, excellence uses the same thought processes in the human mind as addiction. So the human mind and excellent uses the same template But what the difference is, is addicts, in fact, most addicts are extremely intelligent, but they focus on the high. People who want excellence, they get their high from being excellent. Let me make one other emphasis point on this section. If you understand how pornography has impacted you in those areas, that type of awareness sometimes helps people in the healing process because they want it to be different. They want to be more socially involved. They want a healthy relationship. They want to get good grades. And when they start focusing on those areas of what they want rather than the addictive behavior and say, you know what, I don't want my life to be influenced this way, we start to begin the healing process. Now, before we move on, I want to identify a pattern that I've observed in the recovery process. So let's take out a piece of paper, and on the right-hand side of that paper, you write down the word pornography. In the middle of the paper, write the word fantasy and masturbation. And then on the left part of the paper, write down abstinence or not looking at pornography. What happens, in my experience, is that people will give up Pornography. They'll stop looking at pornography. If they were looking at it weekly, it all of a sudden they haven't looked at it for two months and they're feeling really good about themselves. They're saying, hey, I'm almost there. I've kicked the habit. I'm doing great. Well, the challenge is this. How frequently is it still coming into their minds? I'm not looking at pornography, but I'm fantasizing. Oh, okay. So we move down from the right side of the page where we've got pornography. Now we've got fantasy and masturbation. And it feels better because I'm not looking at pornography, but I'm still fantasizing and masturbating. I want to relate this experience. If you look at the reaction sequence that we talked about early on, the fantasy and masturbation in the middle of the paper, the stimulus starts, the thought occurs, hey, I could look at pornography. No, I'm not going to look at pornography. But the mind allows itself to fantasize. It allows itself to get excited. And then in comes these chemicals that we've talked about. But no, I'm not going to look at pornography. And so the mind and the body are still acting as if you're getting that high. 
What I am finding with many of my clients is that they play with this fire. It's what I call playing close to the fire. And so they go from the stimulus to the chemical release and they say, nope, not going to give in. And so they get the high because they're fantasizing and then they stop. Maybe a few hours later or maybe a few days later, they do the same thing over again. And they do it over and over and over again. Well, it's important to understand that if you're going to begin the healing process and the recovery process, if you're playing by the fire with fantasy and masturbation, you're really a really stressful experience away from giving in and looking at pornography again. The reason why is because you're playing so close to the fire. What happens on the day where you're playing by the fire and you get a phone call and your girlfriend can't go on a date with you or your spouse is upset at you because you're late? When you play close to the fire, it just takes one stressful experience, one night of being alone, and you go over the edge. So stopping this process means that we have to recognize, you know what, I am playing close to the fire. I can't continually do that. If we go back to that piece of paper on the right, you've got the pornography. In the middle, you've got fantasy and masturbation. And then you've got not looking at abstinence, whatever we want to call that. The process here is fantasy, we could say, may be better than looking at pornography. But in reality, fantasy is what leads to looking at pornography. And it's playing close to the fire. That's where we've got to take it further. Go to the left part of it and say, I need to stop the fantasy.